to another episode of the Cusism Syracuse Sports Podcast. Alongside Jesse Cook, I'm Chile Casiadele. We've got two guests with us today on this little truncated edition of the show. Say hello to Will Shea and Jared Johnston. Hello. Glad to be back, Chile. Yeah, I mean, Jared was here on the show a few weeks ago, about maybe a month and a half ago. Yeah, we'll, well, we'll chalk it down like that. I was a, I remember I think I filled in for Jesse one week. It was first couple of weeks of school, parents weekend for Syracuse um, football, a hot start for them when we were actually covering them. I remember that. Good times, right? <laughs> it was kind of a banger of an episode. You know, I, I wasn't... Wish I had been there for it, but that's I got to why hear it was it. so good. I think it was. Yeah, 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 I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I think it was one of our longest. That's not the longest episode in Cusism history. It was a pretty long yeah. episode, but it was still, as I said, kind of a banger. It topped out at nearly an hour. But Jared was talking about the football team off to a hot start at that time. Why don't we talk about this cold ending? So, Syracuse lost to Pitt Saturday night, 31 to 14, and. The offense and the defense, both phases of the ball, have just been absolutely terrible these past three weeks. I mean, that that's true. Sean Tucker really got shut down that last game. I'm sure he'll eventually tweet out that he's not pleased with his performance. Hey, I'm pleased with yeah. his performance for the entire season. Only, what, 29 yards? Yeah, it wasn't his best game. I mean, Pitt, we saw from the get-go, they, they knew how to shut down that run and I guess that's why there's such a highly ranked team. But it's not limited to the run game. This was the first time we really saw Syracuse experiment with the passing game on mass without really having a whole lot of freedom to fall back on in that run game. So they just faltered when they got to play those higher-level teams, excluding that Wake Forest game. And, you know, talk about Sean Tucker not having his best game, but you know who else looks like a deer in the headlights? Garrett Trader. He's looked completely off. Yeah, I mean, he, he's not a real quarterback. I, I think we knew that going into the Garrett Schrader experiment that he is much more of a mobile quarterback, throw the ball second, and that worked for a couple of few weeks when this was the identity of the offense. But you realize that not only is he not a good passer, but there are no good wide receivers on this team. Courtney Jackson and Anthony Queeley have like potential, but they're, they don't get separation. They don't get it often. They run only slants in this offense. Happy Sterling Gilbert's out. I'm sure we're going to talk about that later. But, yeah, when you play good teams like Pittsburgh and NC State in these last two, you're just not going to show up. And we have a quarterback who can't throw the ball accurately more than 15 yards. It's not going to look good for you. So, so the Orange end the season 5-7. and uh, Kind of like, I want to kind of get your thoughts on how this season, you think the season went as a whole. I mean, you're building up after, a, what, a 110 season last year. So, I mean, you can only go down so far. But how do you really assess this season? I mean, I think on the whole, this season is a positive. Considering going into this season, the Orange were considered the worst team in the ACC. And by a pretty wide margin, there were a lot of, you know, other than Duke and Georgia Tech, there weren't many other teams considered bottom feeders in the ACC. And Syracuse showed up five wins, one win away from a bowl game, and really just blew their chance of the last three games. They should have been in a bowl game, especially with their one possession losses earlier in the season. I think this is a, a win of a season. It's just a bitter ending to, like, a really good year for them. Yeah, now, so, I was going to say, it, it, were they really one loss away with all with all of those one-loss possessions? So, or one-possession losses, yeah. sorry. So, they really were much closer than one loss away. They were maybe a couple plays away. But now, they, they're going back to the drawing board, Potentially could see some players transfer, but I don't think it's likely that we'll see Garrett Schrader or Sean Tucker or Damian Alford or Anthony Queeley leave the program. Same goes for guys on defense like Michael Jones or, or Garrett Williams. So I think we'll probably see a very similar team. But as of earlier today, no more Sterling Gilbert. Dino Babers has a new coaching staff to hire as a couple other assistant coaches left. What are your thoughts on how that's going to progress as now we start the clock towards 2022. Yeah, Jesse, when I'm looking at it, the one thing that I realize, like, what's the bigger picture in all of this? We're blaming the offensive struggles on the fact that there were no really weapons to use besides the fact that, one, DeVito couldn't throw and Garrett Schrader couldn't throw either when it came down to it. So 
even when they make these changes looking into the future of their program, what's the biggest thing that we need for Syracuse football to see out of them as just media fans, whoever you may be in the picture of Syracuse football is who they're going to be able to recruit. And as far as when you look at Dino Baber's track record, he's not been able to pull people from New Jersey, big places that you need to get, the metropolitan area, because really, upstate New York's not going to get you that much. There's TJ Conley. That's really all you talk about when you think of New York high school football. And I think that's something that's really important to look at, that even when you think about who Dino could bring in, I don't think it makes much of a difference because there were a lot of things like Dino called Damian Alford Bambi, blaming him that he's inexperienced, he needs to grow into his frame. Well, Dino, that's all you've brought into the program, and that's all you've got. So, I mean, my biggest problem looking at this season, too, was that if those were the only weapons you have, you need to trust them because that's all you have to work with. Otherwise, you were shrouded into a one-dimensional offensive system. So now when they're trying to redraw and re-scheme this, if they don't trust the receivers they have, I don't really think they get anywhere because it's not like they're going to be able to pull anyone to be a weapon on this team. Yeah, and you talk about recruiting, right? And that's something that we've talked about on this show for weeks now. And if you look at who's helping to recruit for this team, I mean, who do you lose today? You lost your tight ends coach in Reno Ferry. He was the primary, like, District of Columbia, Maryland, Virginia recruit, 40 Orange. You know, he helped recruit people like Sean Tucker yep. and Marlo Wax. I mean, you didn't even now, use the tight ends anyway, so I don't get why he was important <laughs> at all, but... But hey, Maximilian Mang is a saint. I was so <laughs> excited about him this year. But you see, now he's gone, and you know that's an an area of the country that is probably one of the best. Not, yeah. and we just talked about this. Not just football, but pure athleticism as well. You know, so now you're losing one of those main pipelines, and you can look at the upside and see who's this team going to possibly bring in to try and fill that void. But when you lose somebody who brought you literally a possible Heisman candidate. And Sean Tucker, I don't think it's probably slim at this point, but definitely throughout most of the year, a strong Heisman candidate in Sean Tucker. Uh, what are you going to do going forward? I, I honestly don't know. I mean, that's huge. The, the DMV is a very underrated area, especially for football, because there's not a lot of powerhouse schools in that area outside of, like, Maryland, really. Exactly. So Syracuse being able to tap into that was huge because Marla Wax and Sean Tucker are two of your top four players from this season. Losing that's big. However, I think Syracuse's strength really is the transfer market. They used it really well last two seasons with Chris, with Chris Bleich and Garrett Trader, and I think that's just going to keep going. They're not going to recruit great prospects or great recruits as of right now. It's not their identity. It's not what they're strong at. But they can get transfers going from bigger programs to build themselves up in a lower-class ACC team like Syracuse to be something better than they usually are. I think that's their strength at this point. You know, I think you're all forgetting the great state of Massachusetts. You know, I went to watch my old high school, Sharon High School's Thanksgiving Day game. <laughs> They started off the game with an onside kick that they recovered. Then they got beat by 27 points. But they started <laughs> off creatively, and that's what Dino needs is creativity. You know, you know, Chile, you're a big high school football guy. You know, you, I'm always seeing your Twitter about your high school back in Pennsylvania. You know, Del, Delco County, Alden. So just from the Pennsylvania standpoint, a market that Syracuse has access to, what's going wrong with Dino? Why is that? I mean, you think it's one of the... You repeatedly say that it's probably the best high school football market in the Northeast. Why is Dino having so much trouble going there? Why does he have to look even further south like Washington? It's just dependent on who you have as your recruiting staff and the pipelines they've built. You know? You've know, you got to get people who are not only good at their jobs, but they know these areas well. They've been in these areas well. They know the coaches. They know the families. They know the players. They know the players' uncles, their wives, all this stuff. Now, I don't even know what I said there with players and their wives since they're <laughs> high school players. But you get some of them are eighteen. That's it, true. It's not unheard of. Let's let, get, get, keep going. But you know, but you understand what I'm saying in that you have to be ingrained in the communities that you're trying to come out of. You can't just go there and just be like, "Hey, we want your football player." That's cold. You need to warm yourself. You need to endear yourself to these kinds of players, and. That's what's important for this team to do going forward. That's something that they've lacked in. That's something I believe that what that DO article from September talking about how yeah. Greg Schiano's really just started to like push in to New Jersey again. And that's like like Jared was just talking about. That's a very big market for high school football in the Northeast, as is Pennsylvania, as is the DMV. It's more mid-Atlantic, but still in that region. You're not gonna find good 
the best football players in central New York. Maybe somewhere like the Bronx or Long Island, you'll find a couple here and there. But generally in New York State, you're not going to find that. Connecticut, you're probably not going to find that. Massachusetts, you're not going to find that. All the way up through New England, you're not going to find that. Where you want to go, Jersey, Pennsylvania, if you want to stretch out a little bit into Ohio, go there and then the DMV. That's what you need. That's what this team needs to focus on. People who can hit those areas hard, people who know those communities going forward so that they can have some recruiting success, recruiting success that they have not had for a few years now. Yeah, have you guys ever watched the the Ernie Davis movie from, I think it was like 2008, the Elmira Express or whatever it was called? It's called okay. The Express, but yeah. Yeah, The Express, okay. <laughs> so you, you you know the scenes where the, the Syracuse head coach yep. is bringing Jim Brown to meet Ernie Davis. He's bringing Ernie Davis to meet Floyd Little. He's bringing stars to make this connection with players, and I know that takes place going on 60 years ago now, or over 60 years now. But... Isn't there still that same principle? I, oh, 100%. But the problem is Dino's not that. Dino's not a household name. Dino's not some, you know, some top-ranked recruit isn't going to be excited by Dino Babers walking into his walking into his game. Like some uh, We're Syracuse media. We don't want Dino Babers walking into No, we don't. I, Dino's just not proven that he's a good enough coach and a big enough name to get that attention. And the problem I really think is there's no player that's doing that either. Syracuse has had some really good football players over the last couple of years. None of them are notable enough and big enough to recruit other people. I think finally with Sean Tucker, you might have one, but he, unless he becomes this outspoken, really pro-orange guy, which he hasn't not shown the case to be, but he's not, you know, he's not Josh Black. He's not someone who's sitting on Twitter preaching the the choir of Syracuse Orange. (laughs) But if you had that, you could get other people to come to Syracuse. You just don't have that right now. There's not that culture of, Let's get people to recruit and people to come here, and we're going to make people great. And we're going to get people to the draft. That's what you need. You need someone and a system to create that level of enthusiasm in the Syracuse football program. I think at the end of the day that you see the fine the people have been calling for people externally Gilbert to, to get out of town mm-hmm. for years now. People such as the two people who host his show every week. <laughs> Very true. But it's starting to happen now. This team is starting to have – a, some some changing winds come into the air. So ultimately, I think Dino Babers probably has one more season as coach of this football team to to get his ducks in a row. And if he doesn't, I think he's gone. And what? Who was that? Coach O said he wanted to take a year off? <laughs> yeah. So listen, I think at this point, Dino Babers probably has one more year left to prove that he's got something with this team. What is proof? What does he have to go next year to prove it? Does he have to make a bowl? Does he have to win eight games, ten games? What does he need? I think he at least has to make a bowl game. Okay. If he goes, if he ends up with six wins, I don't think he's going to lose his job. But, again, that's up to the athletic office to see and the boosters that ultimately will have that decision as to what happens with Dino. But I do think that the bar, while not the highest, is still there. You've got to get six wins. And... For the majority of this season, this team was sitting on that, but they just couldn't get over the hump. So I think relatively it's an easy hump to get to. But if they do, if they have the same record at this point next year, they have a record worse than that, I think it, his time in Syracuse is over. But Chile, you're talking about something to prove for Dino Babers, and did he really prove anything this year? Garrett Schrader was the failsafe that really guided him to victories, being able to transform an offense that wasn't really able to do anything creatively, but also, you know, give Sean Tucker different reads, different things. It really opened up the field. And Garrett Schrader, you could very well say single-handedly, besides the improvements on defense, saved Dino Babers' reputation. If you keep Tommy DeVito on the field, like, he's not going to prove anything. So to me, when I'm looking at that, the fact that he did bring someone in, I guess he does make the decision to bring him in. But six wins doesn't do anything for you. You're just denying the inevitable would you rather be an average program with a team that continually will not be able to recruit because you got a guy from hawaii in the west coast that doesn't have any strongholds and doesn't have the power to bring someone in from florida from different places like mikhail jones is from img but you're not getting anyone else to come to syracuse because only people that will come from img to come to syracuse people with something to prove so you break it all down maybe he'll get six wins but like you said if there's prospects of a guy like Ed Orgren, which the only reason he'd come here is because he coached here before. You're not going to get another name like that. If you get a chance at that, you're blowing the whole thing up and you're starting over and you 
blowing everything up because it gives you more of a ceiling than you could possibly ever have. Your ceiling right now is six wins. In the future, once Garrett Schrader's gone, it's even less than that. I think this is Dino's ceiling, and I think if he even hits six wins, what kind of bowl game are you getting? Like the Idaho Potato Bowl? <laughs> like, do we care about playing Eastern Washington? No. Fenway that bowl, shouldn't maybe. be Syracuse's level when you think about the reputation and the history they have. They're not trying to bring in people to have a six-win season. They want to see Jim Beheim win another national championship. They want to see guys like Floyd Little, um, Floyd Little caliber players that can guide Syracuse to glory days, and that's something upstate New Yorkers haven't really and won't be able to see for a very long time. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, this team, this program as a history is just— its glory days are long gone. How many people remember the glory days of Syracuse football? Maybe one of my track coaches who tells me about <laughs> Ernie Davis and Jim Brown all the time. You know, whenever I go back, they're like, oh, yeah, you know who went to Syracuse? <laughs> Ernie Davis and Jim Brown. I'm like, yeah, I know. But, like, for people back then, maybe they knew Syracuse is a big-time football program. I think now the and i'm not saying this is a good thing at all but i think maybe the athletic department and people generally see syracuse football as more of a a mid-tier mediocre program that's meant to stay that way so again our caliber of success obviously if i was running the athletic department if dino babers doesn't get at least like eight wins next year i would probably fire him but there are people who would be more willing to accept mediocrity and i think Objectively speaking, that's what we're looking at with the athletic department generally talking about this team going forward. Yeah, you have to think about, like, John Wildhack, first of all, because it's, at the end of the day, his decision, what happens with a lot of the coaching staff and all that. So is Syrac- a lot of it is money. Is Syracuse football bringing in enough money with the current team that mediocrity is okay? And that does play into recruiting because you need money for travel. You need money to really entice these recruits. So is mediocrity a good step? Because I don't think Syracuse is at mediocrity. Mediocrity is six wins to me. Six wins for a team like Syracuse I think is mediocrity, and I think they have the potential and clearly did have the potential this season to be way better. So is being mediocre that next step that's going to start to bring in more recruits, bring in more transfers, that's then going to elevate the Syracuse to a team that possibly could be like Wake Forest and take on the top of the ACC, could be like Pitt. Could, could that be the next step? Jesse, when you really think about it, the poll that Syracuse needs to have is, one, getting people to come into this frigid, cold environment of Syracuse, New York, in the middle of the upstate area. Like, there's... That's... One of your first problems, right? You got to pull people to come here and freeze in Syracuse. And the way you got to pull people is to have big names, and that's not what you have. So, I mean, that's why when I really look at it, like, if you want to be a program that succeeds past mediocrity, eight wins, 10 wins, starts thinking about getting ranked, which was a conversation if Syracuse really won their those one possession losses, which is kind of insane to think about, right? But, um, they need to have a name brand, and that's not what you have with anyone in football, athletics. Like you said, what's Sean Tucker going to be to this program when he leaves? You know, Joe, not much I, at all. I think you would be the guy to go for that. I mean, somehow you got convinced to come up from Tampa. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, was last year the first time you, you saw, like, real snow? Well, I've been skiing in Colorado. Um, so okay. I've been skiing, so... like, three times, but the way I describe it to people— is I've been on vacations, but this is the first time I've actually lived in the environment. And I'd say that I it's definitely an enjoyable place because of the people you meet and things like that. But, like, if you're a football player, right, and you're being brought to this environment, like, you need to have everything catered to you. Like, you need to advertise a whole experience because ultimately it's the team's job to provide everything you need to do your job and we really think about it at the end of the day. Would you rather be in Florida or would you rather be here? Would you rather be in University of Florida with 100,000 people? Would you rather be in the big house if you can have that pull? Like, obviously, these are better programs when you think about Harbaugh coaching with that big upset over Ohio State as well. Like, oh, yeah. Like, Blue. those are just great environments that you don't even have to have the pull as a head coach from the fact that 
you can play against 100,000 people in the big house and hear people. And the dome does have the allure, but does Dino Babers smiling, calling you Bambi have the allure? I don't think so. <laughs> you know, if Dino Babers called me a cat, I think that would that that would redeem him in my eyes. <laughs> now, you know, we're talking about cold weather now. Now, Will, you're from New Jersey, moving, going home to Wisconsin now. You're <laughs> like me and Chile. You're you're well accustomed yeah. to the cold. So, what, what's what's your take here? Because you you just like us made the ultimately odd decision to come somewhere even colder. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with Chile that the the glory days of Syracuse are gone. Like you could talk about the '60s and the '50s with Ernie Davis and Jim Brown, but those, those aren't really the glory days in my eyes. The glory days are the late '80s, early '90s, where Getting to a bowl was the floor. Mm-hmm. And for 10 years, almost 20 years, that was Syracuse. They were the best, one of the best teams in the Big East. They were fantastic year in and year out. They got recruits. Syracuse football was fun. And then for the last 10 years, they have three winning seasons. Three winning seasons. They're not mediocre anymore. They're just bad. And I think going to the ACC has been the worst decision this football program could have made. Yes, revenue is up in terms of the general share you get from a regular season, but they haven't been good enough to reap those real rewards. So until they have one of those huge seasons, and they had one in 2018, but they need that level of consistency for two to three years, and then you see the rewards of the ACC. And from then on, they could be a powerhouse school. There's not no question they could be because the rest of the ACC, outside of a couple schools, is not a football powerhouse. As much as there are some good teams— there's a lot more basketball teams than there are football teams. So if you can be that team that gets recruits, you just need someone. You need someone to kickstart things. I don't think it's Dino. I don't think it's John Wildhack. I think there needs to be massive turnover in this university before you see any of that happen. And going forward, right, the ACC is a basketball conference. Mm-hmm. As much as there are good football teams, we talk about teams like Wake Forest now, teams like Pitt who are always well-coached, teams like NC State that's on the come-up. But this, and Clemson, of course, isn't what they were a few years ago, even as early as last year, you know. But the ACC, like we've said, is a basketball conference. So going forward, Syracuse, yes, is a basketball school, is a lacrosse school. Syracuse could be a good football school. It is this team— had they won three or four more games, would have been and three or four more games that they could have won. Yeah. You know, talking about that stretch where they played teams like Clemson and Wake Forest, this team could have been in the conversation for winning the ACC. Probably not the national championship, but in that conversation. Yeah. So if you think about it, and we're talking about assessing the season here, how close were we to calling this season a success? Would are there still problems that this team would have had to to go through? And am I actually more happy now that it's kind of the season that the Orange have had have kind of forced them to be honest about themselves? Yes, but at the same time, part of me, the fan in me, knows that this team had potential to be better this year and wasn't. And part of that was bad play on the players' part. Part of it was terrible uh, coaching decisions by Dino Babers in a lot of these games. But... It really could have been a better season. 100% it could have been a better season. I mean, you dropped a game to Florida State, and this was Florida State when they were losing to FCS schools, Florida State. Yep. Jacksonville State, baby. Let's go. <laughs> like, that's just, that's unacceptable. And I know Wake Forest at the time was undefeated, but you lost on a game-winning touchdown on a very bad defensive play by Deuce Chestnut. Yeah, burn. Like, those are mistakes you just can't make. Clemson. Missed field goals, missed extra points, stupid mistakes letting up sacks. Like, yeah, you can go back and be like, they should have probably lost those games. Like, you shouldn't be reading, beating Wake, Wake Forest and you shouldn't be beating Clemson. But to be in those games and lose those ways, those hurt way more. Like, the fact that they won five games doesn't feel real. Like, you could have told me this team won two games. And I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense in the way they played when they were this bad and the way they made mistakes when they were in games. They didn't deserve five wins. But at the same time, you could have told me they won eight games by sheer dumb luck. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense because they got lucky so many times. So it's just such a weird year to look back at here. And you you think back to those games, and yeah, you you can narrow it down to a bunch of plays. But this brings us back to Dino Babers Mm -hmm. because you can narrow those losses down to singular decisions. Mm -hmm. Remember, there was that penalty at the end of the first half in the Wake Forest game 
that Dino, for some reason, declined yep. that would have sent Wake Forest back and forced them to kick a field goal. Instead, they got a touchdown. Syracuse, instead of losing, uh, in, instead of having that cushion, now loses by three points. And they could have been up by, uh, forgive me, my math is wrong, but they could have been up by four. Yep. But, or one if they had just gone with the field goal. I, I don't know. I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> I'm not. I, we didn't come here to play school. But then you, uh, the Clemson game as well, fourth and really short on a really risky long field goal when you had, at the time, the man who was top three in the nation, rushing both rushing yards and touchdowns, and Sean Tucker ready to go. Garrett These, Schrader also in the red zone. Spectacular. Among quarterbacks, I think he was tied second in the nation at the time. And Andre Schmidt, who'd been mi- who had missed, I think, two or three short field goals at that point to that point in the season. So it's not a gimme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dino Babers, he's, he's great at motivating players, but we've seen he doesn't know how to recruit, and when it comes to crunch time, he will almost always be there to make the wrong decision. And I know every you can be a backseat quarterback, you can be a coach from the stands, but when there's 50,000 people, or I, the, the carry dome holds 50,000, when there's 30,000 people <laughs> all thinking one thing and the man with the headset decides to go the other way, the problem isn't with the play, it's with the man with the headset. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, why don't we move out of this cold weather a little bit and head down to the Bahamas a little Ooh. bit? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, the weather yeah. was warmer. Way warmer. Was the performance any better? I mean, not really. And we're talking about, of course, I mean, we'll be talking about the women a little bit later, too. But let's start talking about the men's basketball team and their performance uh, in the Bahamas for the Battle for Atlantis. So they end up 1-2 in the tournament. They lost to VCU, and they lost to Auburn. That expected. Auburn's the 19th-ranked team in the country. Makes sense. Their one win came against Arizona State. Yeah, disappointing. I mean, even the Arizona State game, they were winning way more at one point. They were up, I think, almost 20 at one point, and it finished as an eight-point win. Not good. Don't like that at all. They came back in. I thought they were going to lose. I really thought they were going to blow it out with two minutes left. Um, But the the bad loss is VCU. You just can't lose VCU, (laughs) especially coming off a really terrible Colgate loss. Exactly. Where you have to respond and show, hey, our defense isn't actually that bad. Like, they gave up 100 points to Colgate, and then they turn around and give up only 67 to VCU, but f- score only 55. The offense is the bread and butter of this team, and you score 55 points against VCU, yeah. a bad team. And outside, in terms of starters, outside of the Bayheims, you really didn't have no, anything. nothing. You had Swider, you had Edwards, you had Gerard. They only had six points each. You know? know. That's terrible. Cole Swider especially, two for 14 shooting, just could not find it. I mean, you don't have three scores. You don't have anything because the best part about this team is four people on this team can shoot really well and can go off at any point, and that's what happened really in the Arizona State game. But when they're cold, where does your offense come from? It's bad. Well, you can you can think back to that Colgate game where Syracuse lost because Colgate hit threes and Syracuse did not. And it, it shows you we've been pondering what to do about Joe Girard. Is he going to be better now that there are fans in front of him? <laughs> and we we were really excited to watch Cole Swider come in. Mm-hmm. And sure, Syracuse, you go back to last season, they ramped things up at the end and made that great push to get uh, an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. But can you rely on that every time? They're losing to, as you said, bad teams. Yeah. Yeah, but Jesse, even if your scorers are hot... It doesn't do you any good if you use your bench. The big thing from the Arizona State when that was a huge takeaway, even Jim Beheim spoke about it in the press conference, was that he wasn't going to trust his bench players, his new players in his system, to play against the press from Arizona State because they were a smaller team that was quick against them. And he thought he was more confident in his starters to break the press, so much so that Benny Williams, Samir Torrance, and I think it was Frank Anselm played only like four. 15 minutes combined, five minutes each, and Anselm only posted two points out of 92. So all your starters were picking up the points, and that only set the precedent for the next game where your guys were gassed because they had played all of the minutes on the floor. And again, it comes down to the fact that you have these guys that you need to bank on on the system here, even if not just when they're shooting, but when they're playing defensively, and there's no one else that 
really Jim Beheim can lean on. And that's something to think about last year when this team, obviously they had Quincy Gurrier that transferred out to Oregon, but when Cole Swider came in and other guys came in, they were like, all right, there's answers, there's people to contribute, and right now it doesn't look like it's anything like that at all. And you you okay. talked about yeah. you talked about um, how the teams didn't have or how they were gassed after the game against Arizona State, and you talk about the turnaround, you know? It's a less than 24-hour turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's two parts of this, too. You There was a great thing, the, the I forget who broadcast it, but someone said that uh, right before the, the the press happened, they hadn't subbed since five minutes into the first half. So their fourth game into the season, fifth game into the season, they're already playing a five-man rotation. That's not good. Right. That's really bad, especially for a team that we thought was going to have depth. We thought because, they were going to be really deep. Yeah, because they brought in all these guys, and we thought, okay, all of them are about the same level. This is pretty solid. And then you play five of them. You don't play Benny Williams, your five, four and a half star recruit, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> um, but that was really sad. And then the thing about the press, which was terrible, was you have one ball handler in your starting lineup. It's only Joe Girard, and even he's not that good. He got ripped on a couple this weekend. It's just not like Buddy's not a ball handler. Cole Swider is definitely not a ball handler, and your big guys aren't at all. So you need Samir Torrance to get in those games at the end because on your bench, Benny's good, but Benny's out of control right now. He's not used to the pace of the game. You need Saimir, and Saimir has not proven that he can be a capable defender and a capable scorer on this team. So if you're only using him in press situations, it just takes away from everything else you can do on the floor. That's why Arizona State almost stole this game, is because you have no ball handlers. You need to teach people ball handling. Well, yeah, and Saimir Torrance is a guy from the Golden Eagles that was getting five minutes and two points a game. So... How are we going to trust him to do stuff now, the Syracuse native? I mean, it's tough to see. Yeah, I, I didn't appreciate during, you know, I've got friends in the Cronkite school out at ASU. I didn't appreciate the 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 nervous texts I was getting from them. So I, I was happy to see the Orange pull that one out, but it wasn't, they shouldn't be just pulling that game out. They should have beaten VCU. And a lot of the concerns that we've been raising are player usage, strategy, so it brings a question to my mind. Do you think that Jim Beheim, after 40-plus years, is getting complacent? I mean, he survived better media than us, <laughs> but is he getting complacent out there? No. No, he's not. He, Jim Beheim is one of the top five coaches in college basketball history, and it's not really close. He's a fantastic coach. You said history. History. But not, not this year. I, I still think he's a top basketball mind. I think... He's learning how to use these players, and I think the real problem is he just doesn't have guards he can trust. More than anything else, this is actually a player personnel issue, not necessarily how Jim can use them. Because who can you trust? Outside of Joe Girard to dribble the ball, who can you trust to break a press? I wouldn't have any answers. There's not a, okay, you need to go to this person on the bench. Why aren't you doing it? There's just no answers, and I think that's a huge problem is there's a lack of athleticism and there's a lack of ball handling on this team. Losing Marek Dolzhai, we thought was going to be huge. It's bigger than you could have even imagined because you have no big guy who's smart enough to break a press, to pass to the open man, to dribble the ball up the field with height and with strength. You really need that, especially in the modern game today. So, yeah, they're, they're missing the man with the pizza slices. <laughs> but it, it, you need to be able to trust your players, even if— I mean, Yeah, you're right. You need to be able to trust your players— but And I think there's a certain point where Jim Payheim, when he's saying that he can't trust his players, when he's outwardly saying that, maybe that causes a confidence problem for his team where they're going, where maybe he wants the adverse effect where they're going to go, he can't trust me, I need to fix that. But he's dealt with emotional guys like Joe Girard before where they go, hey, coach doesn't believe in me, then what, what am I supposed to do? And they, they, they flail out there. Well, yeah, but I mean, looking at this team, I think it's important to give a quick shout to our guy, Barama Sidibe. The board man does get paid when he gets his boards, and an absence of size is from that one guy. And then secondly, like you spoke about, Benny Williams, not a guy that's been able to pick up the minutes and be adaptable. And that's something Will said that was easy to see, that he's just shaken up by the pace and the physicality of the competition. And I'm sure if you're Benny, you're probably thinking the same thing with a guy with 50-plus years of basketball experience telling you that as well. So I don't think that's going to be an issue for some of those guys that have come into the program. Joe Girard, on the other hand, that's a completely different story. What are we going to see from Joe Girard? Are we going to see 
one personality or another. Are we going to see freshman year Glenn Falls, Joe Girard, dropping fifth, dropping fifty in New York high school basketball, or are we going to see Joe Girard breaking a three and going for three points uh, on the night? I don't know. I don't think we see a lot of it from him. Like you guys said, he's being trusted to be a ball handler and a playmaker, and when you really look at him, he's not really doing much better than Buddy. He's a guy who's a guard who's just trusted to shoot as far as assists and playmaking. So that's another problem that you can really chalk down to the fact is Jim need to have thought of that in the beginning, or did he intend to play a game with more bigs? Secondly, I mean... You spoke about morale. I mean, Joe Girard dropped out of the Sportscaster U program with Matt Park. So if that doesn't tell you about his level of adversity and recovering from uh, a mistake, so I don't know what that'll tell you there. Well, what are we going to see from Joe Girard? Well, a lot of trips to the dining hall, if you ask me. Oh, geez. Look, he, he's really improved it there, and he is in better shape than last year, but ultimately there's an athleticism <laughs> that it comes down to that Joe Girard is lacking, that he had in his freshman year. We He has the capability for it, but hey, if, if he wants to keep working with Matt Park, then he needs to send the calories off to Neva Nevenland. <laughs> oh. Okay, he has looked better this year. He's better. had a few good games, like some really good performances. I know against... Um, Oh, who was he? He put up 20. Oh, against Colgate. He put up 27. He looked really good out there. It's just, he's the only guy, and he's small, and he's unathletic. He's the only <laughs> point guard. He's relied to do, there's so much relied on him, and he's not that guy. Hey, Will, you were like a D2, D2, yeah, yeah, yeah. basketball over this. You're out of shape now, so how did, how does he fix that? Like, I'm, what, what's, I'm not asking for like the dietary <laughs> regimen that he needs to go through, but in your eyes, as someone who's played basketball at a competitive level, like, yeah. some guys who we're seeing in the ACC right now, Yeah, what does he need to do to be able to, I mean, A, get a little more athleticism to him and just keep up? I mean, one of the issues he has is he's very right-dominated. It's one of those things where you would actually square him up to go left. He does not have a left hand currently. And his drive lefts are always to go left to go right, meaning he'll fake left and then he'll swerve his way back right to get to his right hand for the finish. And that works against teams that aren't, strong in the paint, you know, the guys who aren't 6'10", built like trucks. But when you have a team like Auburn or you have a team Kobe like Arizona Coburn. State like or Illinois with Kofi Coburn, sure, uh, those guys can bounce you off your mark way too easily or beat you to the spot. And he gets turned around so easily. When he gets turned, it's an easy rip. There was a play against Arizona State in the second half right before they started pressing where Joe is, I'm sure we've all done it, we've done that back and forth. He'll go to one cone, turn, go to the next cone, that drill. He was doing that all the way up the floor, and the guy let him do it. Because he knows he's slowing him down, he's killing clock, and by the time he squares up at the three-point line, it's an easy rip because Joe just leaves the ball out there. He's got to get a much better handle on the ball. He's too loose, he's too slow, he's too non-reactive, and he's right-hand dominated. All things that, when you play these elite defenses like Auburn and like these ranked ACC teams, it's just never going to go well. That's why Syracuse, I really think, is missing Kadari Richmond right now. Guy who had a tight handle, guy who was much more athletic. Kadari would be doing wonders on this team right now. The, the day I unpinned my tweet proclaiming my Twitter a Kadari Richmond fan account was the saddest <laughs> so day sad. of my life as a Syracuse sports fan. It, but Seton Hall, you know, all power to him. Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey, hey. But Kadari should have started last year so he could still be starting this year. It would have yeah. been a much better team. Sure, he can't shoot, but who cares when you can actually dribble and pass the ball? Which takes us back to— Guy like to, Lonzo Ball. Yeah, mm-hmm. which takes us back to our questions about— Jim Beheim, sure, he's a top-five coach when it comes to in-game strategy, but there is a behind-the-scenes factor. Yeah. First of all, we don't ever speak highly of any Big East team <laughs> on this podcast besides Villanova, okay? Uh, I think we do. No. Uh, <laughs> Not a single one. all Philly. We don't need to talk all Philly. Big Creighton fan Boston, over here. <laughs> Tampa. Okay, okay. Why, why is Creighton in the Big East? I don't know. Why are half the teams that are in the Big East in the Big East? Marquette's in the Big East. That's true. But, but what are we doing? But there's a difference between, like, the Midwest and, like, Nebraska. I I agree. It's just stupid. No divisions make sense anymore since the MLB decided to put the Astros and the Rangers in the West. I'm sorry. But after that point— oh, The Big Ten makes sense. I'll uh, give them credit. Yeah, Actually, okay. no, never mind. They have Rutgers and Maryland now. Yeah, never mind. Never true. mind. Yeah, I so forgot. Sports divisions, ever since that decision, have been absolutely How about the SEC? Haywire. The SEC makes sense. I'll but give the them big, credit. Yeah, but isn't, like, Missouri in the SEC? Yeah, in the South. Is it? Is it yeah. Outside of like Texas A&M. That's the only one I'm a little confused about because Texas A&M should be in the Big 12. 
Yeah, it is the South, though. It is the South. So it's not it's too more bad. South than Missouri. Missouri should not be in the SEC. I mean, but should be in the Big Ten? The Big Sky? Maybe. <laughs> Put Missouri in the Big Sky. I mean, Maybe. How is Syracuse in the Atlantic Coast Conference? Syracuse is not on a coast. It is in central New York. That is saved for teams on the water. Bring back this the Big is, East. This is Bring what back. happens when big college people just go after money and they don't care about things like this. Crazy. Can't wait for the Power Four conferences. Bye-bye, Big 12. Oh <laughs> Oh my gosh, you got Cincinnati going in the Big 12. Cincinnati, baby. You can't, just college football standpoint, you can't spell Cincinnati without Natty. They're winning it all. You heard it here. Not even first, but you know. I can't but, wait let's... for them to get fifth. <laughs> <laughs> can't wait I, for it. I, am, you, there, I can't wait till they lose to Houston. On your... <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait until Cincinnati proves you all wrong. And if they, that doesn't happen, I refuse to admit that I ever said anything. They're going to lose to Houston and be like 15th in the rankings. <laughs> Bearcats, baby, I jumping said, and I said this yesterday. I said that Cincinnati fans and Notre Dame fans are of the same ilk. The exact oh, yeah. same ilk. But it, it, one is old school and one is new school. One is all like gray-haired men and the older ones are like <laughs> like computer nerds. And that's the two camps, but they're whoa, the same whoa, person. Whoa. Jesse Both Cook, computer nerd. Anyone who roots for Cincinnati is at all smart at all. <laughs> I'm not saying they're smart. I'm just saying they're nerds. All we have is good taste <laughs> in our chili, such as Skyline. Oh, my God. Uh, but, hey. Mark my words, they'll be jumping in Fountain Square in a couple of weeks when Cincinnati takes it all. Nobody knows no. where Fountain Square is. Well, they besides, should because there's going to be a parade. Besides you and Cincinnati people. Well, exactly. How much does Cincinnati lose to Georgia by? Like 40? I, like 30 or 40, yeah. I'd say. I, I want to say, assuming well, hey, if Cincinnati can maintain that three spot, then there is a sliver of a chance. I that hope they, they have four. Sliver of a chance that they don't. I think they're going to get four. I, I get agree. Four. There's, so what do they get then? Michigan? I, I and they lose like Michi- 25 instead? If Michigan wins, they should be three based off a of conference. If they can beat Iowa next week. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm, I, You know, I also, I, I feel like a lot of people can have a lot of colleges that they kind of root for. I do come from a Michigan, I come from a weird Michigas of all these colleges. You just want to be fans of everyone? Well, I, I yeah, like this dude has like five baseball teams. Yeah. <laughs> I have two. Like three football teams. Two. Uh-huh. That's what they but all my, say. My family is just He's one of those guys who amount. roots for the entire ACC. He's a big conference <laughs> fan guy. <laughs> big I, ACC I, fan. I come from a weird amalgam. Just my family. My mother went to Michigan. My uncles went to Ohio State and Alabama. And now here I am at Syracuse. Cincinnati was like my grandparents, but also just like secondary education for family members. I'm just going to put all my cards on the table right now and say that while I love Michigan, I love Bama. My team this year is the Cincinnati Bearcats. They're going all the way. Say that in ten years. Not I'm, not all not the way. Ten years. Not all the way. It's just that they're still your team. No, but this is of exactly what happens with all these teams in the American. You know, mm-hmm. everybody kind of has their like little blip, and then they just go back. Like, listen, I'm from Philadelphia. I saw this happen to Temple football. Yeah. You know, UCF, um, Houston had this. Mm-hmm. SMU's kind of having it right now. Yeah. You know. I mean, there was a stretch where Boise State was a literal top five program for like two or three years, and now who talks about Boise State? Who mm-hmm. cares about Boise State? So, like, Bluegrass fans? Yeah, only them. <laughs> this is what happens. A good coach builds a good program, and then they get swallowed up. You know what would be cool? If Syracuse wasn't a Power 5 conference and could do that every once in a while. Yeah, That'd wish. be way more fun. Oh, yeah, it would. <laughs> hint, hint. Move back to the Big East. Leave the ACC. How about that for a take? Jim Beheim coaching the American Conference? Cool. I'm in. I'm so much. <laughs> hey, we in on win that. it every I'm so year. In on that. <laughs> basketball, NCAA basketball. That's the one place where moving out of your conference could still make a huge difference and actually bolster your team because there, how many non-power five teams make the NCAA tournament? A pretty good amount. Football. If you want to make the college football playoffs, and it, it's tough when you're not a power five yeah. team. Well, that's but just, it's a basketball move. This is a basketball school. That's just because there's We're more teams school. that can facts. <laughs> there's more teams that can just get into the into the basketball place into March Madness, you know, and it creates that opportunity. And with all this one done that you kind of have now, you can have a team that has five players who've all been playing for four years, and they may be better on a given day than the team with. Four number one recruits to the just freshmen, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's the name of the game. And that's why, personally, I really love watching college basketball because those power dynamics kind of create for that competition. All right, here's a take. I don't think it would ever happen. But Syracuse does a reverse Notre Dame and becomes an independent for basketball only. And you schedule your, you have your schedule to conflate with how good your team is. 
So that way when you have a really good team, you stack it with all these power power teams, these ranked teams. When you're bad, you play your Colgates and your mid-majors and all those stuffs, and you let them go. So and you you're try, just good all the time. You're just good all the time. <laughs> you're just good all the time. This is what Notre Dame does every year for football, this and they get true. away with it. This and they've been true. the college football player twice. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to bring up Sharon High School again. Oh, my, oh my God. It's two references. Well, no, no. So... They decided to leave. They played in the Hockamock League in Massachusetts, a pretty good high school league. They decided to leave in football and become an independent team, thinking that it was all going to turn out nice and rosy. They won two games this year, and they were <laughs> bad games. So Massachusetts feel, Athletics. Yeah, yeah I, it's the highest form yeah, of athletics. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> I, so I, I tend to see a few parallels from Sharon High School to Syracuse. One, they had the greatest broadcaster of all time, myself. And then cap. two. Uh, n- n- well, well, Heard they, cap. Bro, they tore down my broadcast booth. They're building a new school. They tore cap, down cap, my cap, broadcast booth. Uh, I guess that shows what they really thought about Yeah. yeah they underappreciated. <laughs> but, yeah, I see a lot of parallels there. And I think basketball could work. So if it was basketball only, I like that idea. Mm-hmm. But Syracuse, they like to tie their we, – we like to tie our sports together. So football would go, too. And I think it would really backfire there. Yeah, football being independent would be awful. <laughs> Who Syrac- wants to play Syracuse? Syracuse Nobody. lacrosse being independent would be the best thing ever. No, it would be the worst. No, but it would be hilarious to just see them destroy like these low-level... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, good point, good point. No, yeah, good point. All right, uh, let's, uh, let's wrap this up with a little women's basketball action. Ooh, they were also in... Atlantis. The Bahamas. Yeah. Or Atlantis. The Battle for Atlantis. <laughs> yeah, they, they had their games the week... Before this past week, in which the men played, so we're yeah we broke down the U the USF loss. They were twenty three at the Go time. Go Bulls! <laughs> but we have yeah, we got Florida man here. Yeah, we got the Sun Dome, not the uh, Carrier Dome, as they call it here. But since then, they played Buffalo and Colgate. Well, we covered that Buffalo one, but we also covered uh, Colgate as well. Just a really tough stretch for this team. Yeah, this sucks. I'm gonna be honest. I mean, did we not expect it? I mean, we were expecting this though at some point. The oh only- yeah. I mean, you expect it, but like for a brand new team, this is a really tough stretch. The like- only standout is really Crystalline Carr. You know. Yeah. She's averaging what, 13 points per game. She had 20 against Colgate, 23 against Buffalo, 18 against Minnesota, 14 against USF. Outside of Crystalline Carr, there hasn't really been a bright spot for this team. But I think that was expected. I mean, they're just so small. That's really the tough part is they are so small. They get crushed on the inside. No, There's no defense they can have. Cam- Losing Camila Cardoso is is a bad move, is not a hot take because she's so good. But, man, it's crushing this team. You need a rebounder. You need a shot blocker. And they have someone who's 6-1 playing center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was actually at the game today against Colgate, Chile, and so I was basically filming by a camera courtside and their center right now is Alacia Styles, which bless her because she's my favorite. <laughs> she's my favorite player on the team. Like you see her haircut, she's rocking it like Dennis Rodman. That's that's my girl right there, Alacia Styles. But she is nowhere near like built enough to be able to play in that position. You think about Kimberly Cardoso, who was the ACC Rookie of the Year. Was yeah. she Defensive Player of the Year as well? No, she's just Rookie of the Year. Just Rookie of the Year. But she was a player who. I think 6'4", six, 6'5", six, she slotted in as the tallest female player in college basketball as a center in her freshman season out of Brazil. And that's tough-ass for anyone to replace, but Von Reedy has a couple injuries to work with. But even when you get those girls back and you kind of slot them in with Alasia Styles as well, like it's tough to really build your team. So you're trying to build it off that full-court press. You're trying to get those steals, which they got a lot of today, but... Again, they got it against Colgate. They can't do it against number 23 USF. They're going to have to go through a period of figuring out their identity here until they can really um, build back from the rubble here because that's what you see there. Someone took a wrecking ball, and they basically whacked the entire house down. Oh, yeah. This team literally after last season just absolutely imploded. You know, Truly, I wouldn't be surprised if that was like a women's college basketball record, the amount of transfers that went out, like 12 I, transfers. I would not be That's surprised, an entire no. roster. Yeah, it's it's sad, you know, and we've talked about at length the um, the circumstances regarding that and how this season is, and you know, I kind I do feel bad for Von Reed because I feel like he's not gonna last past this season, but at the same time, it's also not his fault. 
You know, John Wildhack essentially just threw him the role of this team, a severely depleted team. It was like, here. Well, no one wanted to be a part of this program. It's also a huge thing to think about. No one wanted to try to get a bunch of transfers in. So that's what Von Reed was working for. You couldn't really get him pull from recruits. One recruit that they got, she's number 30 on the team. I can't remember her, but she's a freshman that's playing like garbage time minutes. Like, they're just getting people that they're just trying to mesh together. And it's. Basically, what you're thinking about is Von Reed is trying to make a Frankenstein of a roster, pretty much. Yeah, Chile, I mean, we've we've discussed this at length in recent episodes, but maybe Von Reed being there isn't so he can be a good coach or even be the coach of the future. I th- In my opinion, Von Reed being there is so that there's someone to, to pass the time until next season when maybe... When all of the Coach Q stuff has passed over just a little bit, which is hard to do in a region like like Syracuse where there's not a whole lot else to talk about. Mm -hmm. But when all that's passed over, maybe a moderately passable season from Vaughn Reed can get someone else to come over. Now, I mean, Syracuse gave Felicia Legetjack two dubs this (laughs) past month. One... Uh, retiring her number, rightfully so, 30 years too Hulk late. Long enough, yeah. Yeah, 30 years too late. And then, of course, she's the head coach at Buffalo. Is that someone who Syracuse would be able to incentivize to come on over? She's got a pretty good program at Buffalo, but who wouldn't want to come home? And Syracuse, Von Reed, in my opinion, is not there to be the long-term answer. They need a jolt. And someone like Felicia Leggett-Jack might be that answer. You know, that is that is something that I have not thought about yet. But I think— I'm a thinker, man. At this point, it is a possibility. And what if I told you before that women's college basketball, how it works coaching-wise is there's a there's the cream of the crop. There's your Don Staley's, there's your Gino Ariyama. Of course, as a UConn fan myself, I love Gino. <laughs> you got— People like in the past, like Pat Summit, yeah. you got Adia Barnes who coaches in Arizona, you know. But you basically, the best stay at the top, they grab a program and they stay there. Yeah. And you know, Coach Q, I mean, the man is, he made the national championship before. He was the coach of this team for what, 15 seasons? Long time. He was there for a while, you know. So that's kind of how the name of the game goes. And there's not really the fluidity in terms of, changing tides like it's not what we're seeing in college football right now you know where coaches are trying to go different places you're seeing what Lincoln Riley go to USC Mm -hmm. today it's not what you see in women's college basketball so it's trying to find the right person that can try and put that program together they're very few and far between Mm -hmm. and sometimes you may have to go to the understudies the assistant coaches of these big coaches to do that but I do think Felicia Leggett Jack could be a viable option for this team going forward. She should be. The only problem is they offered her the job a year or two ago, or she wanted the job. She asked Syracuse for the job, and they said no. Granted, situations have changed, and we don't know what her opinion is. She's obviously coaching at Buffalo. She's doing a great job there. I think it's a great idea. I think she should be. Uh, It sucks for Von Reed. Guy's probably a pretty nice guy, but he's just not a good coach. Well, well, is it really bad for him? Because I I think if you're in his position, you probably walk into this thinking, hey, maybe I can pull off a miracle— or maybe I can do what my job is, which is to get someone else to, to be here. I mean, what do you think? What do you guys think his role really is meant to be this season? I mean, he's clearly a bridge. I think it's 100% he's the bridge to the next coach. I just think it sucks because everyone as a coach wants to be a head coach. Yeah. And his one opportunity is here, take an entirely brand new team, strip you of all your height, <laughs> play an incredibly difficult schedule in the ACC, see what happens. Not an ideal spot for a first-time coach. He's going to get canned or passed over after this. And it probably doesn't lead to another job. Because unless you have a shocking run somewhere and you get some notoriety, like you said, women's basketball isn't a huge turnover sport for college, for coaches. Mm-hmm. You pick someone and you stick around trying to build a program. Von Reed's just not going to be that guy, which kind of sucks. And you talk about him just going back to assistant coach, though. Oh, he could. He could. That, that just sucks for him that his first opportunity as a head coach is this. I think he's got to test the waters, you know. I mean, is he going to get any job offers? He could—I think that with the roster that this team has right now, if he produces a somewhat mediocre record, maybe at 500 or maybe a game under 500 or something like that, I think it's unlikely. 
But I think for him, that's probably a win. And for him with the roster that he had, maybe he gets an offer to go somewhere else. Maybe he wants to take a break if somebody replaces him. You know, if you if you think of it, he'll probably not be happy to go back to assistant coach and serve under the person who who basically cost him his job. But I think he probably also knows his role, but you don't coach to lose, you know. Like every other coach in the world, you want to go win a national championship. So he's trying to do that just with a very bad roster. And again, he got handed not even leftovers from what was left of Coach Q. But he's trying, and this is just how we're going to have to read the season. We're barely into the season. We haven't seen ACC play. We saw one game. And exactly. They got stomped by Notre Dame. Yeah, and Notre Dame, who's a rebuilding program of their own. They're yeah. not even at full strength after Muffet McGraw retired a couple of years ago. So they're still on the come up. We'll see how it goes against teams, stack teams like Louisville. Yeah. Yeah, but Chile, I mean, well, I think it was actually Jesse that mentioned this. Von Reed as a bridge. I mean, if there's one thing that tells you that he's just not, there's no confidence in him to keep the job is they don't even like keep his, his title is still acting head coach. He's going to remain acting head coach on his placard, whatever it says, like, He's introduced as acting head coach. This man is just a facilitator for this team, and even if he gets above 500, like, I mean, if he wants to stay with the program, I don't see why he wouldn't just step down to an assistant because that's his role in a program anywhere. You might say if they just continue to be less than mediocre, which is probably the expectation as a, as a ceiling for this squad. And, and Von Reed, you know, as far as head coaches go, he's fairly young. So he's got a lot of time. It's not like this is a last-ditch effort for him to have, achieve his dream of being a college head coach. This is, hey, we'll let you test the waters, see what you can do in a low-risk situation, a low-risk, high-reward situation, and then we'll see from there whether his future stays in the 315 or it's elsewhere. It's not like this is a bad situation for him. Sure, he wants to win, and I guess it's bad in that sense that this team is not really going to live up, not to that expectation, but to that hope. But it's not exactly the worst situation for Von Reed, which I, I do like out of this. And recruiting in the future is going to be hard for this team either way, whoever comes in, you know, because I think the residue from Coach Q is still going to be there. And not to mention the fact that like Coach Q tried to go get a coaching job in Spain, I believe it was, was given a coaching job in Spain, and then eventually it had they had to rescind the offer from him after everybody there found out what happened with the program, you know? So this is a problem, the stain left on this program from all the events that were happening with the team and how the players were treated is going to be on this team for a long time, and whether in the slim chance that Von Reed remains head coach of the team past this season, or even somebody like Felicia Leggett-Jack comes in, this is going to be problematic for the team going forward because you just have to look at how the players feel. You know, the players and everybody talks to each other. People are talking to each other. The top players in college basketball are talking to the recruits, the people in high school and whatnot that, and they're telling them, go here, don't go here. Go to this place. Don't go to that place. Go to Yukon. Go to Arizona. Go to South Carolina. Don't go to Syracuse. Those are the kind of conversations being had, and it's going to be hard to overcome that for a while. Yeah, I that that's what it comes down to <laughs> for this team is you look at it the long run, and it, yeah, in the distant future, it's probably pretty hopeful, and if Von Reed can work a miracle this season, or not even a miracle, but get the team towards 500, maybe there's something bright in sight. But something else that's bright in sight is you, the the listeners, finally get to turn this off because <laughs> I think we're just about <laughs> wrapping up here on Keysism. So, first of all, as always, big thank you to my co-host, Chilakasi Adele. I think we produce... I think, as we referred to Jared's episode earlier, a banger. So, <laughs> in reference to the banger that we've produced today, thank you to Will Shea and Jared Johnston. New episode record as far as time, it looks like. Seems like it. Yeah, with the theme music, this is going to top out at over an hour. Oh, so. yeah, we're reaching over an hour. So, call. let's go, baby. Great. Thanks <laughs> for having us on, guys. This was uh, fun. Yeah. Hey, thanks for joining yeah, us. Yeah, on short notice, too, we just kind of popped the question just over at Citrus TV, brought you over to Z89, and yeah, here we fun. are. So, 
as we've got 20 seconds before just the talking reaches an hour. Do you want to? Do you want to wait out the 20 seconds? Should we? Should we count down the clock? We got 15, 14. You're doing a good job 13, right now by 12. yourself. Oh this my god! It. The play-by-play. Play. We're going this to 10. This is like nine, the, like New Year's Eve eight, on Times Square. Seven. But six, like just to count down five, an hour. Yeah. Four. Separate ba- Bay Rowdies will be two, back. One, we're at an hour. It's a record. Okay. Okay. Let's shut it off. All no, right, folks. No, don't give them any more. <laughs> they, 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 they haven't earned this much. Free broadcasting here. Done. We'll see you next time. <laughs>